Welcome everybody to Monday Night Live. My name's Derek Arden and it's a great pleasure for you to uh, join us, whether it's live, whether it's on YouTube or whether it's on my podcast channel. Let me tell you a little bit about Mike Pagan. I've known Mike for a number of years. He was on the board of the Speaking Association when I joined and he was still puzzling himself about what the strategy was when I uh, wondered what it was as well. And I don't think there was one. So we put one together between a few of us, which was great. And we sorted it out. Uh, welcome, Mike. Thank you. Let me tell you a little bit about Mike. Mike's an expert in helping clients achieve positive mental wealth, which we're all going to find out about tonight. His expertise includes working with entrepreneurial small businesses through to corporate board members and professional sportsmen, which is the area I'm really interested in. Mike's a coach and author of four books, a non-exec director. He can be blunt, direct, honest and open. And I remember him being that once or twice with me. No messing around. Here it is straight in your face. You better calm that down today, Mike, because, you know, I probably can't take it anymore at my age. I've Mike never been touched by a client, though, Derek. <laughs> yeah, you've got to be careful. Got a bit more on this ridiculously long, uh, fun intro, oh, it's, Mike. It's, it's, it was yours to choose what you wanted. I'm going to keep going just for a minute. <laughs> by surrounding Mike, Mike surrounded himself with his own mental wealth team and has been more successful in business and feels more mentally and physically able to navigate the path ahead. Mike's career includes... HSBC, the Forte Group. And I seem to remember, Mike, you disappeared to Australia with your family for a few years. Yes, so yes, indeed. Yeah, why don't we, we kick off with that, why you did that? Then we'll get on to the puppies and then we'll move on to the book. <laughs> so well, uh, the, the first one I need to start with, though, is what is mental health? OK, because because that just the clarity. And for me, mental health is clear. Mental wealth is clearly a play on mental health. So I'm not a mental health expert. I'm not a counsellor. This is my world is very much about support networks and getting the right people working together to help people uh, achieve more success and everything else. Uh, clearly, the, the fact that it's it sounds similar and is a play on mental health means I do get involved with a lot of areas of pulling the right teams together and helping people support. So that just want to put that bit of clarity out there first um but you, your your question there about australia um i i made a pact very early on um to not wake up at the age of 50 saying what if or if only um so one of those targets was wouldn't it be great to have a bit of time living overseas uh having some fun and we looked at south africa didn't feel safe so we landed up in perth in western australia and the story goes moved out there Wife, baby, rucksack, no car, no job, no house. Came back three years later, same wife, two kids, small container ship. Set up a business in a country I hadn't lived in for uh, several years in a location I'd never lived in before in my life, without a database, without a proven track record. And it took me six months to write my first invoice. But other than that, I like doing things the easy way. And that's why you talk. About, that's why you do actually uh, talk about mental health and mental wealth, obviously, because that obviously stressed you out a bit. And that was Perth, wasn't it? My favourite place in Australia. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We had we time in Perth, and it's there's, there's always a, a, a wonderful story I always talk about with regards to the network in Perth. Uh, my father, in the late fifties and early sixties, used to um, uh, live in Singapore in his bachelor days. Um, and one of long story short, he was involved in cricket. He was only the umpire. He never actually played and he just drank whiskey and, and dealt with rubber plantations in Malaysia. Uh, but his best mate moved back to Bangkok 
he moved back to the UK. Two months later, met my, my mother, my sister and I came along. Moving out to Australia in, at the end of 1999, my dad sent a Christmas card to his mate in Bangkok. Uh, so Mike's moving over there. Phone call through. Got to tell Mike to look up Newton. Uh, we did some land deals in the 70s. He's a great guy. He'll look after Mike if he can. Two months after I arrived in Australia, I knock on the door. This old chap comes to the door. Come on in, mate. Feeling a bit crook. Just had my first dose of chemo. In you come, though. We'll see what we can do. Uh, long story short, he was considering investing in a dot-com business that needed some commercial skills. Instead of him investing, he plugged me in. They couldn't afford me properly, so I had a pocket money salary, a um, uh, golden handcuffs. I moved back to the UK three years later. Three years after that, uh, the, the company bought me out, got my shares through. No, not, not enough to uh, retire on, but it was, it was a good uh, step up. Three months after I met Newton, he died. Oh, wow. um, so I had this narrow, minuscule moment in time to meet up with this total random, the other side of the world, all stemming from my dad being a bachelor drinker in Singapore in the 50s and 60s. And for me, that just demonstrates that whole thing about that, the power of this network. Uh, and obviously the network has shrunk so much now with this technology that we've got today. Uh, but that, that just getting those right people, asking the right questions and taking action. If you don't take the action, that would have just been a contact. I could have turned up three months later and heard, oh, sorry, he's gone. Yeah, that's amazing. That's a great story, actually. I, I, one thing I disagree with you there, Mike, I think my contacts have grown like mad. And, uh, you know, frankly, uh, on the show today, I've got some friends now who I would never have spoken to um, again if we hadn't have, um, hadn't have done this. And a lot, a lot of new people, which is um, absolutely fantastic. Now, before we get into mental wealth rather than mental health, I want to know about this fantastic work you do for guide dogs for the blind and actually breeding puppies. That um, I was thrown away when you told me that on Saturday. Well, for, for the podcast, I've just changed my background. So I've got one of the little puppies. This one's known as Yoda. Um, and my, my daughter has, has, has named her Yoda. Uh, and uh, we, we basically, we're, we're volunteers with the guide dogs, have been for many, many years. Um, and um, the, the breeder that we had, uh, at, quarter past four on Saturday morning, she just started dropping puppies. And uh, I'll, I'll stick with just the positive stories here. It, it went a bit wrong later on, but she, she had five, uh, two, two um, uh, blonde uh, golden uh, labs and three black ones. Uh, and uh, yeah, they're, they're cute as anything. And they just snuffle, make noises and, and, and drink at the moment. And in about three weeks time, we'll have mayhem as they are become a little bit more mobile and they chase around all over the place but it's good fun and uh, we, we've done it for years i think we've i think we're at 45 puppies that we've we've um helped engineer now and several in training and when you put it in numbers like that it sounds like a big number but it's just we've, we've basically been fostering for years and and it works because of where we live it's really convenient Okay, I'll just put you on gallery view. Can we have a round of applause for Mike for the, uh, that is absolutely amazing, 45. And, and tell me, Mike, I'm sticking with this for a minute because they have to be a certain temperament, don't they? And then they go into a year's training before they go anywhere near um, the lady or gentleman that they're going to help. Oh, yeah, they, they do. They have a year to 15 months with the puppy walkers, as they're called. Which, and I, I think that's the hardest job because you really get to bond with this 
beautiful animal and you've got to give it basic training and others. Then they go off into training. They've got a four month basics, then four months advanced, and then three months with their new owner. Um, so it, it, it takes all of that time. And if they get put in the breeding program, then they get taken off after the first season and that, that a different way of working. And then you don't get reject puppies anymore now. Uh, they're repurposed. So basically you've got certain dogs that clearly are too boisterous. They, they eat the wrong stuff. They play. Uh, they don't stop at roads. Uh, other things like that, which is a small problem for the people they're, they're helping. Uh, but that that's how it works. And uh, we, we've had dogs in training as well. Um, and uh, the, the, the characters are great. Some, some of their traits are not so brilliant, but that's Labradors. They'll eat anything, literally. Uh, but um, that because they're so food orientated, they're, they're relatively easy to train if you know what you're doing. Two questions that uh, comes to mind there. Um, how many of these do you think will make it from your gut feel? How many from of the these five? five? If we get if, if three of them make it, then that's good okay yeah yeah I, I, I think out of the last litter she had she had seven um and of, of those um i think four of them made it okay that's that's pretty good i would have thought pretty good uh, pretty good figure and how do you deal with the emotions yeah i know you've got a daughter a daughter or two daughters or whatever how do you deal with the emotions of letting them go well, by the time they go at eight weeks, you, you kind of want your house to not smell of pee and poo, to be honest. Um, and uh, they're, they're cute and they're gorgeous, but you're quite happy to sort of get some normality back. And they, they won't place them before Christmas. So this year we've got a dog for, dogs for Christmas um, and then we'll be getting rid of them straight afterwards. Oh, okay. um, so, but there'll be lots of visits. There'll be lots of friends and neighbours and, and lots of people with small people coming around to sit there and have puppies crawling all over their heads uh, and photo poses. We'll do, we'll do one of those fundraiser things as well that will just feed more money into the guide dogs. For yeah, can you, send, can you send me that uh, for all the details and I'll put it in my newsletter for, uh, we raised 500 pounds for uh, Godfrey's Daughters charity the other week. So send me that, I'll okay. put it in the newsletter. And okay. uh, I was thinking, I might even run one of these from your house. That'd be good fun, wouldn't it? A Monday Night Live from Mike's if, house. Wow. Going back in the day, Derek, there was there were board meetings or project meetings in the PSA that were run in my house when there were puppies. And there was a particular lady whose name I will not mention now, who turned up, who was known for being a bit hard, stony-faced, yeah. absolute yeah. rottweiler. And she turned up in the house and just crumbled it was hilarious just this oh. <laughs> sounds like kate atkin to me but on dogs yeah, I know it, she's it soft definitely on dogs. wasn't kate yeah she's <laughs> laughing she's laughing well congratulations on doing that that's absolutely uh that's absolutely fantastic uh mike before we get into the book what's a mental health first aider because i was thinking that's maybe something we all need to know something about Okay, let me put the reality check around this. Um, it is thought that in the future, uh, they will make having a mental health first aider mandatory in the same way as it is for mental health, uh, for, for first aiders. Um, so that, that's something that is being floated around in that environment. Uh, it's, it's a two-day qualification run by Mental Health England. Okay. Um, it is very, very strong. Um, I, I have a son who's in the sixth form now, and he's in, uh, a prefect on diversity and uh, inclusion and exclusive uh, equality. Uh, and he keeps getting told lots of heavy things 
uh, from other students and everything else like that. And I've said to the, the, the school, I said, you need to give anybody in that role safeguarding training and some mental health uh, first aid training. But yeah. that course is too powerful for that age group because there's a lot of talk in there around suicide um, and, and what people do and how they build it up. I do think it's a course that will be uh, delivered more um, and, and the more it, people know, the better the questions are we will ask. And therefore, there'll be far less people falling through those cracks. But with the, the climate, the pandemic, overcoming everything that's been happening in that world, there is going to be a lot of um, uh, support required. So the, the more people that can get trained up in that, the better. However, you do need to have a reasonable constitution to be able to complete the course because there's, there's elements of counselling that you get into without you being a trained counsellor. And, and, and counselling is a specific skill that people need to have because you need to be able to deal with other people's rubbish, for want of a better word, um, and, and not absorb it and not take it as a problem and, and uh, um, deal with it in a constructive way. And that's what happens with the Samaritans, isn't it? The Samaritans do all sorts of training like that so you don't take it, so you don't take it home with you. That's absolutely. And that's that the therein lies issue. the hardest point. Yes. Absolutely. Okay, fantastic. Thanks for that. There's a lot of us, a lot of things for us to think about there already. Okay, so tell us about uh, mental wealth. And I think the title was great when uh, when you first sent me an advanced copy. I, I thought it was a great title. But as you say, it could get muddled up between one and the other. Tell us all about it and tell us why you wrote it. Uh, okay, well, mental wealth as i said initially it's that play on mental health but it it is when we build the wealth uh, if, if you think of it like the sort of the, the bank balance when we have positive mental wealth balance that means when things hit the fan uh, we will bounce back more effectively so uh, the the hardest part i believe is this piece around isolation because uh, isolation kills creativity and prevents decision making and as a direct or indirect result of that, we will then start procrastinating, faffing about, language that you know I use, uh, and uh, that can then have a detrimental effect on our mental health. Um, and it's part of the thing, we are all on a mental health spectrum. Uh, we wake up on a Tuesday and we're feeling great, wake up on a Wednesday, feel like a bag of do. Um, um, and we yo-yo. We and, and over the last sort of 18 months, two years, especially with the pandemic and the lockdowns and everything around there, the, the, the older heart rate monitor that you get in the hospitals uh, with the highs and the lows and the peaks and the troughs. Uh, we haven't had any highs. So the range that we used to have uh, has, has dropped and that's increased the levels of uh, people having more challenges around depression and, and procrastination and isolation because we've had to be isolated. So the, the process of what we need to do now is understand who is in our support network and engage with them more effectively uh, say goodbye to the people that are no longer fit for purpose going forward, which is which is a which sounds brutal, but just because Bob was great for you four years ago, six years ago, doesn't mean to say he or she's going to help you going forward. So we need to be really brutal about that and then intentionally choose the right people. And if we don't know who they are, then we reach out to our trusted network that's already in place and get them to refer and recommend. And we build stronger relationships that way. So we're constantly looking for specific areas of support that will make us stronger. Everybody has to deal with rubbish on a, on a weekly basis, on a daily basis, whatever it is. So it's how we bounce back effectively. Mike, you're making a big assumption that people have got a support network. And I was gonna take issue with you on in that in your book because um, 
you know, John Baker's on and we talk about introverts and extroverts, but some introverts would be on their own and what you described and they wouldn't know how to even get a support network. So um, there's, there's a big difference between being alone and, and, and working alone and being isolated. Yeah. Uh, so there, there are times when I work very effectively in my man cave on my on my own. I'm in the bubble. I hit flow and whatever else and I get no distractions. And there's other times when I'm climbing at the walls, craving interaction with humans uh, because it, it's necessary. Uh, the, the, the key thing we need to be doing is understanding who is in our support network to begin with. Mm. And one of the things I would get is people to do is uh, I, I refer to it as a mental wealth scorecard. Uh, so you, you, you literally you score your connections, your, your, the people that are committed to you and give them a one to ten score. One being a low score, ten being a high score. It's not scientific. This is totally subjective. So you don't need a PhD to work it out. And then you start to see who's actually in that, that support group for you. Uh, and so if people are scoring one, twos and threes, then they know who you are. So we can move them on. They, they, they know your name. If they're scoring fours and fives, they know you because of a reason. They support the same football team. Uh, the, you, you play a sport together. You know them from... Uh, the, from your church, from school gate, whatever it happens to be. If they're scoring sixes and sevens, they can be your best friends. They can be a uh, family that you, you closely interact with. However, the sixes and sevens, we won't give open, honest, vulnerable situations to. That's only when people are scoring eight, nines and tens. And those are the ones that are truly um, you're comfortable with and, and you've given them permission to be strong and challenging of you. And then as a result of that, we can see who's really there. But only the eight, nines and tens count in the mental wealth team scorecard. And it's, it's, uh, um, it, 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 it's, oh, it's gone out of my head that the, the name of the customer uh, service um, uh, process, oh, you, you'll, if, you, you'll know it in a moment, Derek, yep. uh, where literally it's the same basis of only people who score nines and tens are your raving fans. Um, and it's, it's that process where here it's your eight, nines and tens and if, if you start off with a scorecard with only two people, that's great. That, that's, a, that's a baseline. That's a starting point because then you've got initial people you can start talking to and asking for support and, and help and introductions, and then you build from there. But the first, first point is knowing your baseline so that you can, you can evolve from there. And if you've got loads of people, then chances are you may be overscoring some because um, you didn't want to offend them, but they're not going to read it, so it doesn't matter if you were going to offend them. And it's in here, the uh, scorecard, is it, Mike? Yes. Um, I was yes. just having a quick flick through it, and Sean Costello says it's called the Net Promoter Score. Is that right? That's that's the one, Net Promoter Score. Thanks, Sean. Yes. Okay, thanks, Sean. Hope to see you again on the show. I know he's a colleague of yours or a friend of yours, Mike. Um, <laughs> yes, Sean and I went to school together many, many years ago. About 80 years ago, actually, Mike. You look a bit, um, you know, now you're looking good shape, about 25 years ago. Um it sounded a bit like the 80-20 rule when you said to, when you looked at your clients and you said 20% of the clients um, um, give you 80% of the, res of the results of the sales to me. And again, it's that 20% in the top that you absolutely trust, don't you, to say anything and to give you good, honest, sensible um, feedback. Feed forward, we should say. Feed forward. Feed forward feedback, just sometimes brutal, but, but real. That's the point of it. It's got to be real advice real challenge because uh, when, when they're doing especially in the professional sector 
Um, if they're asking you real questions, then it's it's devoid of emotion. It's just practical. Uh, and I know myself when when I did a whole lot of property investing in the noughties, I made all sorts of errors. Uh, the, the biggest error I made was I avoided taking independent legal advice before signing a certain document. Um, so I avoided a 500 pound bill. It might not have even been that. And as a result of it, um, I completed on the property last year in Cyprus. Yes, 15 years later, uh, I won't say how many hundreds of thousands down the pan as well, but uh, I've got a yeah, wonderful property for not a lot of value and uh, a lot of heartache all because I didn't take that one piece of independent legal advice because my support network in the uh, legal team wasn't connected closely to me. Um, I wasn't engaged with them. I wasn't asking the right questions and nobody else was asking better questions than I could myself. Yeah, I remember you sharing that with me as well privately. I think I might have been in your support network at that point. I don't know, but I knew that you were a long way down the, the track and um, it was um, a big problem for you, wasn't it? But you've got yeah, over well, it and you're a very resilient man. Congratulations. Well, well 2008, there was that global banking correction uh, and um, it was very painful. Uh, and it took me many years to learn how to speak about the errors I'd made mm. because I screwed up. Nobody likes to talk about that. Mm. Uh, but had I had the right proactive people supporting me, they would have asked better questions. And recently I was looking at some good old life cover and critical illness and things like that. I'm talking to my wealth manager uh, and, and he'd, he'd provided some quotes. Uh, and I said, well, have you tried checking out these guys? Cause I'm associated with them or whatever. And he said, uh, let me just quote back something you've written in a book or two. <laughs> Take the advice of your support network. That's why they're there. Yeah. I'm giving you my advice. Either trust me and believe or don't. Uh, yeah. Which kind of put me back in my box. So I signed the paper. <laughs> Well, one of the interesting things is there are a number of people on on this on today that have talked to each other via via this and uh, and it's just and it is a support network and we can use it as a support network. I'm happy to talk to anyone on here and uh, I've talked to one or two people. Nigel's got me one or two speakers. We've got some American friends. I speak to John Baker a lot. Um, Martin, of course. So yeah, Kate, Paul. It is a support oh, network. I, I get so much grief and support from William and Kerry. So it's, it, and, and it's all done with love, they say. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good way of telling you the, the brutal truth. I think that's the way you, uh, I think that's uh, what you called it, Mike. Um, Very much needed. You, now, you talk about the mind-body connection in the book as well. So I'm a big fan of the mind-body connection. It's pretty instant. And uh, sometimes I have to give myself a talking to first thing in the morning because I get that up and down and, you know, after a good coffee and a good talking to by myself, I'm I'm game on. But some people struggle with that all day. Any thoughts on that? Well, the, the, the thought that that takes me straight into is it, the first area is self-care. Um, when you're building that mental wealth team, it's about first things first. We have to look after ourselves. Now, I'm not going to go into some sort of um, uh, fitness junkie uh, preachy statements or anything else like that at the moment. I mean, I can see your biceps there, Derek. I think no no it's just a shirt um but uh yeah it we we have to take control of ourselves and what's going on there um I've, I've always joked that I'm uh number six in my family wife baby uh, wife three kids dog now five puppies as well so I'm actually probably I'm I'm number 11 today um if I want to follow that route the whole way through but it, it when we're number one we take proactive control 
we ask better questions. Um, I've, I've never been able to do meditation or mindfulness because I'm too fidgety and I, I either uh, get up and move around or I fall asleep. Uh, but then I worked out over the last while that um, with the sports that I do, I've, I've always done meditation and mindfulness because I, I get in the water and I swim. Um, and if you're swimming long distances in cold water and other silly stuff like that that I do, then you get into that rhythm. And that rhythm is rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, keeps on going. Um, and when you get out of it, yes, you're feeling fresh and exhilarated from the exercise, but you've also got some clarity in your brain. You may well have come up with some absolute pearls of wisdom. And of course, the problem, slight problem you have there is you can't write them down whilst you're swimming. Uh, but uh, there are ways you just, okay, let's just clear out the head and do it. But that works for me. And now, hang on a fact, minute. In, in this book, you say you did the biggest marathon with that crazy guy, Chris Cooper, who we, we all know and love that lives in Leicester. That was running. Well, part of that was, yeah, Chris, Chris did that wonderful thing. I, I, we've been good mates for a long time. Right. Uh, and he put out to his network, I'm, I'm thinking of doing this quadrathlon in Scotland. Um, anybody possibly interested? The only person that didn't tell him to go away bluntly was me. So apparently that was me signed up. Um, and the quadrathlon, it's, it's, it's the toughest one-day endurance race in Scotland, um, which basically is a triathlon with kayaking as well. Uh, but instead of it just being a little one, uh, the, the initial part was a swim, which is a mile across a lock, uh, which is 10 degrees. Um, Chris, Chris not, is not a swimmer. So six months beforehand, I and others were teaching him how to do front crawl. Uh, so when, when we actually did the swim, I, I swam with a toe float. And I said, all, you're, all you've got to do is just follow my float. Uh, so the swimming bit was the easy bit for me, but the hard bit for him. Then it was uh, 18 miles up and down seven Munros. Now, for those of you who don't know me, I'm, I'm a chunky little short guy, not designed for running. Uh, so I'm, I was, my knees were squealing. I used to play sensible level of rugby. So I've got all sorts of injuries from that. So that hurt a lot uh, with just under 10 hours in the mountains. Um, and you had to do it in twos because of whiteouts. Then there was the kayaking back up. Uh, the river, uh, the lock, and then a 35-mile bike ride to finish off. 15 hours, 23 minutes. We didn't quite complete all the activities, but uh, uh, either way, uh, uh, we slept well that night. And that just, but as stupid as that sounds, it's part of my self-care. Because to, to be able to do that, I take on advice, I get coaching, I get support from people who know things better. I look at the nutrition. Uh, if you go swimming on a Sunday morning at seven o'clock, you don't want to be burping up Rioja. So that means on a Saturday night, you drink less, which means you're uh, cleaner and purer in what you're doing. Uh, so there's, there's all these different positive effects on, on you, which means that you're in a fitter, stronger place for dealing with um, the, the high energy of work, of uh, young adult children that I have and everything else that goes with that. So hang on a minute. So the, to stop drinking Rioja, you've got to get up at seven o'clock in the morning on a Sunday and go swimming. Is that right? Okay. Believe I, 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 Mr. Baker is there. Can you imagine him going down to 15 meters uh, uh, under the water and suddenly, oh, there you go. That's a bit of Banks's. Well, in case no one knows, uh, John is a um, John lives in Swanage and there's a deep sea diver and there's a lot of wrecks around Swanage and it's a huge uh, diving place. Well, I don't know. I've seen him after a few pints and I wasn't sure what was going to happen then. 
Let's go back to you and rugby. So you nearly got in the first first fifteen at Sale Sharks, didn't you? I, I was yeah, our development squad. I had a few games for their twos, uh, and then uh, in in the the beautiful. So I I have no qualms with this at all. I got to the top of my talent range. Um, is, is the way I describe it, which basically I got the tap on the shoulder when rugby went professional in 96. And it was, Mike, you need to put on another 15 kilos of muscle. Yeah. And grow six inches. Uh, to, to which I thought, OK, that, that's me going back to club rugby. Uh, yes. Um, so I did. Uh, but I, but I, I, the, the, the two years I was there at that club, I loved it. I, I learned so much. And the, the, the guys that were playing first team were huge. Um, and they're even huger now. Not that that's a particularly good English word, but you know what I'm saying. No, no, uh, and it's yeah, it was, it was great time. Learned, learned so much and it was good fun along the way. I like on page 35 your um, 31 day planner. What's that uh, all about? Uh, that's all about us doing things that are good for us. Yeah. So again, it's it's still part of the self care side of things. But uh, when when we plan stuff in advance and then stick to it. Uh, whether that be just going for a walk, finding your sanctuary, uh, or, or just getting out and about and doing things a bit differently, we we've got something to, to reflect back on, to look back on that that happened. Uh, and I mean, a classic one that I, I know there's a lot of people extol the virtues of gratitude diaries and journaling and everything else like that. Now I know that doesn't work for some, and it does work for others. But I've always used the story in here that. I, Whilst, whilst yes I've written numerous books and things like that I'm, I'm not a big writer um, and I'm not a big reader but I do like pictures so uh, in when when my mother passed away a number of years ago uh, instead of writing a positive down every day which is what my wife did when her mum passed I, I took up I do, took a positive photograph which I shared now that some of them were completely random but it meant that 365 days the anniversary of mum passing I had so many positives to reflect on. Now, whether you do that for 31 days or you're doing it out for 365, it's just finding things that you can look back on and celebrate. And then when you're out with people, um, as, as you mentioned, Sean, earlier, we hadn't seen each other before Saturday for 33 years. But we're still solving the problems of the world, talking about random stories of things that we got up to uh, multiple years ago. Uh, and those are... That, However, I dress it up. That will go down as a hugely positive day in my life because it was great fun meeting up with so many old old connections. That's what we build on. Mm. No, it's um, it's great. I mean, everyone finds their own way of doing this, don't they? I, I write I write notes every day in my own handwriting because that helps, and they're all positive things. And uh, it's a good way of keep. It's actually when you get to my age, it's a good way of uh, being able to uh, recall things as well that happened a month. I'm, I'm not going to elaborate on that one. It would be too easy and rude. Yeah, well, I thought you would. And uh, I've got the switches here. So at the moment, I'm in control. Thank goodness. <laughs> Mike, um, we're nearly coming to the end of the interview. Um, what have I missed out? Because there's a lot of points on the back of here that perhaps you could share with us that are, that are crucial to um, everybody's success, watching the recording or watching this, um, watching this live. Yeah, the, the key thing that I really focus in on is it, to build a mental wealth team. There's, there's four areas you go into, and we've discussed most of them, but it's just a highlight. It's self-care, yeah, priority number one, making ourselves number one, we can work with it. The second area is external coaching. Uh, now, I, with my work with uh, professional elite sports, men and women, as they transition to their life after sport, 
they used to have 35 people keeping them on the track, in the pitch, or on the pool, in the pitch, on the pitch, in the pool. Um, and when the guillotine comes down at retirement, then that, they, that disappears. So their support that they've been reliant on is no longer fit for purpose. Mm. And they've had a coach that used to get extra, uh, extra um, strength or extra speed out of them, et cetera, et cetera. So for all of us, when you've given somebody permission to ask you really um, telling, insightful questions they, that you can't, that you either are too scared to ask yourself or, you, or we just avoid. And that's where I, so I, I, the, the coach does that. Uh, and they're not there with an agenda either. Yeah, the, their only focus is to help you find the right actions to, so you see it through. And um, one, one of the things I discovered with, with my coach uh, was my uh, um, habitual drinking. Now, I'm not Rioja again, it. is it? Sorry? Is that Rioja again? Uh, no, well, it could be. <laughs> uh, the, the short version of this story is I calculated when I gave up alcohol for several months that I would donate <clears throat> on average 15 hours a week to the God of alcohol. And that was calculated when you look at a Friday night, Saturday lunchtime, Saturday night, Sunday lunchtime, and, and once during the week. And that's not saying that I was an alcoholic or anything like that. It was just partly social, partly sort of switching off on a Friday night. Um, and it, that excludes hangovers and downtime as a result of that booze. That's two working days per week donated to the God of alcohol, which over a year is 100 days. Now, whilst I'm not, many people on here um, will consume alcohol in moderation or, or not so, it, it might be irrelevant, but it's knowing what are these habitual time bandits, these habits we have that use up. So it's like the face, you, you look at um, my, my uh, uh, young adult children, the amount of time that they've got a screen in front of their faces, the amount of time we uh, donate to Dropbox, uh, to, uh, to box sets, the amount of time that we have uh, just scrolling on relevant, irrelevant social media. We have never got enough time to do what we want to do, but we donate loads of time to stuff that just uses it up. And that's things like that is where a, a, the coaches will get more of that out of you because they see one, it and one, they ask better questions. The, yeah, I just want to say one thing on the coach for people uh, watching this or listening. You've got to get the right person as the coach. Oh, totally. There's so many people um, selling their wares as life coaches and they haven't had a life. That's the thing that really bugs me and they haven't got experience and I think between life and mentor and David Skinner's on here we talk with David and I always have an argument what's the difference between a coach and a mentor but uh, <laughs> you know and then we never we never uh, we never agree but at the end of the day who, whatever you call a person they got to be good they got to know what they're doing uh, the, the chemistry has to be bang on if you mentioned that so I, I I believe there's four four interactions we got the counselor and they go into our back history our life history understanding where this has stemmed from and they dig and they dig deep you've got the mentor i built it uh, I, I i got it wrong i got it right learn from my mistakes learn from my successes you got the consultant uh, might come in um write a project and tell us how to do this then we'll pay you a bit more and you can implement it and if it's successful we'll take the credit and if it fails it was the consultant's fault yeah uh, and then and then the fourth area is the coach and that is a blank piece of paper where are you trying to get to? How am I going to get you there? Uh, what are the three things you want to debate and discuss on that? And which one do you really want to commit to? Oh, and by the way, you've got to turn up next month having done something 
Uh, otherwise, there's a waste of time and it just becomes an expensive fireside chat. And, we, and, and so the, those interactions, I, I sit predominantly in the coach area, but I will dip into the other areas. Mm. Um, I was talking with a counsellor early on today, and she, she absolutely deals with mental health counselling. And some of the stories and areas she digs into is just incredible. I, I run from that, which is why I would plug her in there mm. and vice versa. So no, it's knowing it. the skill set. And we shouldn't, I mean, that's a serious professional qualification, being a counsellor on that psychotherapy type very much issue, so isn't it it's not nothing that anyone any of us should play with once we hear that we should be putting them with the proper professionals and and david skinner um does this work with um coaching for covid uh, people in the nhs that are seriously stressed out and david's a great coach but i know that he doesn't go into that area he leaves it to the real professional coaches because we're in that borderline um and yeah. we'll um we'll talk about that um on another session or or later on uh yeah no absolutely that's that's great so so, so i I mentioned so the coach uh the self-care the professional team and then the peer support and mastermind group Mm. and we described uh this this being a a sort of peer support group anyway for all of you because you we reach out you ask questions and make it work but when we've got the right people in that team coming from those four areas then priority one we can go and have more fun yeah, because uh, because you can enjoy stuff because you know that I've somebody else has got my back. If I've got a challenge, I can go to it. If something goes wrong, I can ask better questions to, or somebody will help me get the right answers. And it's always that primary area. If we get the mental wealth team and our support network working for us, we can have more fun. And then the final bit, just, just yes, go on. Sorry, I was going to say the, the final bit that I will always end, end these discussions on is um our challenge, though, and this, this is for each of us, and I know many of you will totally resonate with this. It is our duty as human beings to ask better questions. If you ask somebody the question, how are you feeling? How are you going? And they respond with the phrase fine. We all know that's an, acro- an acronym that uh, um, I won't repeat what it actually stands for, according to my 17 year old son. But uh, either way, it's, it's, it means time to ask a better question. If there are people that you haven't spoken to in the last two months and your gut feel is saying you should pick up the phone or you should reach out and contact them, then do it. Don't text them. Don't send them a social media. Pick up the phone and have a conversation. Because three weeks ago, um, I, sadly, um, one of my son's great friends uh, through school uh, tried to take his own life. Uh, fortunately, he was unsuccessful. On that day, though, my mate from America that I was at school with donkeys years ago, picked up the phone and rang me. We talk every few months. I, when, when, when I saw the phone call, I couldn't take it at the time. I rang him back and I said, so, so Bok, why have you rung me today? And he said, what, what do you mean? I, I want to see how you are or whatever. No, no, specifically, I need to know what was your brain journey? What was, what was it that triggered you to pick up the phone and ring me today? I'm not going to tell you why. And we fished for about five minutes and we couldn't work it out. It was just pure intuitive. Um, I just felt the need to ring you today. Because my next comment was, and thank you, because I absolutely needed to hear from you today because of the situation and what had happened. He also happens to be a doctor. So everything that was going on, I was able to ask him even more questions and get better answers uh, than I was getting from anybody else over here. So it's that final element when, when we're talking about our mental wealth, 
and having the right support network around us. We need to ask better questions of other people out there so that they then feel supported. And in the same balance of that, people that we've given permission to will ask better questions of us. And then in theory, we have a lot more fun, a lot more success, a lot more enjoyment. And out the back of that, who knows where we'll be in six months time? Where'll we, where will we drive, diving? Where will we be on holiday? Well, what will be going on? Those are the choices. Get the right people around us. Thanks, Mike. A couple of things I want to pick up on before we uh, we close. Um, we talk about mastermind groups, which is a sort of coaching in a group. My experience of mastermind groups is you've got to get the right people. And I have uh, started four mastermind groups. I think we could call this a mastermind group in a way because as people who come on here regularly, we swap stories and we help each other. It doesn't have to be commitments to doing things. Um, Next thing I wanted to say was pick up the phone. I analysed how many people phoned me direct last week. Um, one person. One person picked up the phone and phoned me. I got um, I got about 75 emails a day. None of those people picked up the phone. I picked up the phone and phoned about eight people. They seemed surprised I'd phone them. Yes, I know it takes longer to pick up the phone and ring someone, but you can have a quick, short, sharp conversation. So you're absolutely right, but people do seem surprised when you pick up pick up the phone um, I'm ask, asking my, one of my children to ring the pizza <laughs> delivery company or the takeaway shop they cannot ring oh, no. yeah it's 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 all done via the apps and whatever else they they won't pick up the phone <laughs> i was um, i was at durham university law school on tuesday talking to the law students and uh, i did mention this and i did say pick up the phone i always keep the phone by me to demo what it is and they looked at me like i was uh, i'd gone mad and did, i said did you straight how to put the numbers in and ring it because they might not know that from one. an oldie you know pick up the phone and talk to someone but listen to what the, how they answer it so you can build rapport and repeat their words back and all the uh, all the secrets from nlp which isn't really from nlp it's adam and eve but um there we are no yeah, william Buse has just gone back to sitting at the bottom of the stairs with the phone attached to the wall uh, bringing his girlfriend. Yeah, we know. Before my time, that was my, you know, I never don't remember that at all. Um, a third thing I wanted to say was um, people need to ask people, ask for help, though, don't they? You know, I'm, I'm just thinking we're saying that talk to your coaches, but a lot of people won't have coaches that's listening to this. Just phone a friend, talk to people, talk it through, listen to somebody else. It's a bit of the law of reciprocity, which we talked about uh, on last week's programme, the number one key influence lever of influence so um um yeah absolutely we need to do that mike thanks there's one or two little questions in the box that i will ask you before i switch the chat box off if you could answer them very um very succinctly if you recruit a support team should you be consider yourself to be part of their team as well uh not always uh, specifically, when, when you do scoring, uh, I've, I've always talked about uh, my sister in this environment. And in, in her support network, I would score 12 out of 10. Yeah, that, that's not me blowing my own trumpet. It's sort of our parents have gone and she relies on me very heavily from that perspective. She's not a naturally positive person, so she's my muse for the mood hoover. But that's another story for another day. Uh, so I'm 12 out of 10 for her. For, for me, though, she's six or seven. She's not part of my support network as far as my mental wealth team. She's my sister, love her dearly. We have 
good times, we have not good times, everything else as, as siblings do. Uh, so just because somebody is scoring highly in your team doesn't mean to say that that you have to score highly in theirs. Um, and that, that's so and family being the really um, a transparent way on that, because quite often, whether it be parents and child or siblings or whatever else, it's, it's finding that right connection um, and choosing them wisely. Mike Pagan, thanks for uh, joining Monday Night Live. Really good to have you on. How do people get hold of this book? I think Mike's frozen. I think we get this book on Amazon, Mike, don't we? If you if you haven't frozen and if you're it. there. According to um, Sue, who published it, uh, yeah, it's all over the place, which is how it's meant to be. Okay, brilliant. Thanks for joining us. Will you stay on for a little while after I stop the recording? I will happily stay on, yes. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Mike Pagan.